Hello, everybody, and welcome to Spring with the Seasons Leadership Podcast, where we are awakening to new energy, creativity, and the opportunity to elevate our thinking. Throughout this season, we are going to continue to bring you actionable advice to inspire you to explore new possibilities, clarify your vision, and start your plan to improve your leadership in life today. Thank you for joining us. I'm Debbie Collard, and my co-host Susan Ireland is with us today as well. As certified leadership coaches and co-founders of Seasons Leadership, we share a vision to make excellent leadership the worldwide standard. This drives us to partner with individuals, teams, and organizations to increase and accelerate leadership excellence, which is a specific skill that helps leaders successfully achieve high levels of performance. You can learn more about this at seasonsleadership.com. You've experienced plenty, plenty examples of mediocre leadership, maybe even bad leadership. So join us in making positive leadership the norm rather than the exception. By listening and engaging in the discussions featured on this podcast, you help us bring leadership excellence to the world. So thank you again for joining us. We are very excited. We have a special guest with us today, Stefan Wiedner. He is an entrepreneur whose mission is to abolish apathy in the workplace. How cool is that? He firmly believes that for great work to take place, everyone needs to have the courage to speak up and the confidence to know that they will be heard. His passion for unleashing the collective potential of people has led him to co-found NuMe.com, the web's largest network of independent life coaches, and Skillsetter.com, a platform similar to a flight simulator for practicing interpersonal skills. And I can't wait to hear more about that. Stefan has been a guest speaker for Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture podcast. Scrum Master Toolbox podcast, Building Psychological Strength podcast, and many other audiences interested in psychology, business, and technology. His writing has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and other popular publications. In addition to his professional career, Stefan serves as a volunteer firefighter in his local community. He's married with two children and enjoys spending quality time in the outdoors, hiking, biking, camping, and reading. Welcome, Stefan. <laughs> Welcome and uh, appreciate you having me here today, Debbie and Susan. That's great. Well, it sounds like you're an old pro at these podcasts, so that's that's wonderful for us. So you can you can help us along too. And Stefan, I am wondering, how did you get started? I think I uh, understand that you started with your coaching um, business. I don't know if it was new me at the time, but in 2007. What drove That's, you? Yeah, that that is correct. So I started. We started New Me back in two thousand and seven. So oh. my business partner and I, we've been we've been at it for a while, playing in the in the coaching game, the human performance game for quite a while. What really spurred uh, our motivation to get into that space is I had a uh, I think a quarter life crisis or something like that when I was in my mid twenties. I was working away. I got my first job out of university and I worked for a great company doing construction management and our company was small and we were really specialists at time management. So within the grand scheme of project management, there's a lot of work around cost management, et cetera. And time management is kind of an underappreciated science. And so that was our specialty. And at the height of my career there, I was in my mid twenties, working in uh, Carson City, Nevada, on a brand new construction uh, hospital that was being built. So um, I was responsible for roughly fifty trades and just making sure that the project was going to finish on time. So I was coordinating all the different trades to make sure that project the project was moving forward. 
as uh, as desired, right? As I think we had a 27 month window to finish the construction project, which was ambitious to start with. And I was rather ambivalent about going to work. I I just I had great responsibility. I was frequently sitting in meetings with 50 something year olds, you know, the lead architect and the lead engineers and lead project managers and all this sort of stuff. And I was going, uh, this is not really my bag. You know, it's not really my thing. And I knew I wanted to work within the realm of uh, organizational behavior and human performance, et cetera. And so that's when I shifted into coaching and, and I guess the the rest is history. <laughs> right. Well, and that's pretty early. That's when I first was, uh, uh, exposed to coaching. I was getting a master's degree in management and as a uh, elective, we could choose anything. And I chose this thing called coaching that I hadn't even heard about before and nobody else had either. So you were like the on the leading edge. I wish I was at that time. Well, I tell you, I, I went into a training program, a coach training program, and I think I was about half the age of everybody in the room. So it was really strange. And plus there was mostly, it was predominantly women. So um, it was a cool experience. And right away I realized, okay, if I want to really play in this space, I need to focus on technology because I'm young and technology is not something that's foreign to me. And so that's kind of also the genesis for the work that we did. Right. So you, I imagine you, being an expert in time management probably helped you in the early days of coaching too, because uh, as a coach, a lot of my clients, you said, as you said, they don't really care about that, but they don't care about time management until it impacts them in negatively. And then they're like, help me use my time more wisely or manage it better. So imagine that was a good skill to have as a young coach. Well, that was my initial um ideal client. Uh, I worked with, and you know, my elevator pitch was I, I work with solopreneurs who know that they can get more shit done. <laughs> that was it. I was like, are you <laughs> sitting around sitting there going, I, I know I can get more done. I'm just not using my time most effectively. And so that was my ideal client. And I built, uh, I sort of hacked together some technology wherein I'd be communicating with my clients every day where every single morning they would get an email saying, okay, what am I working on? And they would enter it into the system and I would check in on them every single day. And I just had this fully automated system. It was pretty cool and you know, pretty janky. I sort of built it on weekends and my own time and got some people to work on it a little bit. And um, and then, you know, eventually the, my my ability to coach people one-on-one just dissipated because I was focusing on building a much bigger business instead of just my own personal coaching business. Yeah. Uh, what this brings to mind, uh, Stefan, is uh, your unique brand of leadership excellence. You know, that's how you you are a leader in the field in this and you you stepped up. Can you talk more about what what leadership excellence means to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that's something that we're we're still evolving. You know, I, I I guess I can pat myself on the shoulder and say, yeah, I've done some good things in the uh in this space, in the coaching space and in the leadership world, and yet there's still so much work to do. Um so the thing that we're really concentrating on and focusing on is the idea of concretizing leadership skills. So so many people in all of our experience working with leaders through coaching engagements was uh, their goal of wanting to build executive presence or wanting to 
learn how to delegate better. You know, a lot of the goals for the coaching were sort of ambiguous, hard to really put your thumb on, right? And you can look at two people side by side, uh, let's say giving a speech and and you think, okay, that person's better than that person, but I can't quite articulate why, right? So that's the work we're really trying to do is, is to concretize what it is that leaders do really great. And um, and then we have a system for practicing those skills. That's ultimately why we want to concretize them is because if you can break them down, you can learn them and practice them and get better at them through the principles of deliberate practice. And if you look at all the work that's been done in, say, professional sports or in music, we know that in order to get good at playing a sport, you don't just play games, right? You have to spend time on the practice court or field. And when you're practicing, you're not always simulating a game. You're often, um, you know, in the batting cage or you're just practicing dribbling with your right hand or shooting with your backhand or whatever it is, right? You're breaking down all of these skills and you're practicing them one at a time. And then guess what you do during a game? In a game, you use all the skills and you have, that's a new skill, which is to know what skill to use and when and what situation, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, you, that that's where practice gets even more sophisticated. Um, but we're doing that for leadership where we're trying to break down these, these, these amorphous concepts into their distinct elements and then giving leaders the ability to practice those so that they can become much more proficient. And then of course, know when to use them. Uh, and and part of the problem with leadership skills or communication skills or interpersonal skills is we're using them all the time, right? Every day we're using them. And so mm -hmm. it feels like, well, why do I have to practice them? I'm practicing them every day. But there's people that sit down at the piano and play chopsticks every single day. I mean, that's kind of me. That's about the extent <laughs> of my repertoire. I'm really good at chopsticks, but that's about it, right? <laughs> so um so I think it's sort of the same thing, right? We're just using the same neural pathways over and over and over again. And what we need to do is build new ones. We need to build new skills. And that requires a certain amount of rigor that is effortful, right? It's effortful. It, it requires mm -hmm. focus and attention, and that doesn't always feel easy. And so for me, that next level of leadership is about recognizing what your opportunities for development and growth are, and then leveraging deliberate practice to get better at them so that your executive presence improves, your ability to uh, naturally develop followers and create a compelling vision and all these sorts of things, those skills get much better. That's great. I mean, I think if I'd had a flight simulator type of a thing as a leader in corporate America, I think I would have uh, been much better and not cemented some of those bad habits that I had, if you will. Um, and as I learned new things, if I could practice them on my own time, then I would feel more comfortable practicing them in real life, right? When I'm interacting with other people, like you said, the communication skills, the interpersonal skills, um, you don't want to come right out and start practicing those when you don't feel confident in them. So if you have a tool to help you practice, even though it is effortful to do it, um, people would be more inclined to do that. I know I would have anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I know, for example, a few years ago, I went to uh, a training in Portland, Oregon, and it was all about stakeholder centered coaching. And so, I mean, I've been around coaching for a long time and it was a new training, a new model of coaching that I was being introduced to. And I just thought 
this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was, uh, you know, we had a really great knowledge that was being transferred to us. And afterward, I got in touch with some of the individuals that were in that training. And of course, everybody was like, oh, this is the greatest thing. But then nobody was using the skills like no, no one. And, and then as time progresses, there's this increasing uh, anxiety about using the skills because you're like, ah, oh, it's been so long now. And oh, I'm not sure I'm going to get it right. And right. right. Like, and so then we just resort back to our old way of doing things. Right. right. Stefan, what are you practicing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I have to look in the mirror and <laughs> eat my own, <laughs> you know, sleep in the bed I make kind of thing. Um, yeah, the the thing I'm working on specifically is a term that we call interpersonal res, um, responsive, interpersonal responsiveness. I was going to say responsibility, but that's not it. Interpersonal responsiveness. So what is that? Well, I, again, when we break down all of the leadership skills, what we notice is that broadly speaking, there are leaders who are able to approach conflict or potential conflict, and then those who avoid it. And I'm a Canadian, and I think as such, I have some cultural upbringing wherein we're very polite and we defer to others and that kind of thing. And, and so for me, sometimes it's hard to say the thing I need to say to the person because I don't want to upset them. I don't want to, you know, upset the apple cart. And so I'm trying to be really proactive in my leadership skills to name any issue that might be floating around in, you know, whatever team or whatever group I'm working in and be able to point it out in a way that moves the group or the team forward um, instead of kind of dancing around it and pretending like it's not there. Right. That's a good right. one. <laughs> it is good. You know, and and that's kind of one side of the coin that you we talked about in your uh, introduction today. Uh, say a little bit more about the confidence to know you'll be heard. If you, yeah, if you get the yeah. courage to speak up, then the other side of that is the confidence to know someone's going to hear you. Yeah. So what, what is that? That's our definition for psychological safety. So for those who are familiar with psychological safety, it's um, it, it's that environment. And to use Amy, Dr. Amy Emmonson's uh, definition, she's a Harvard professor who's really the key thought leader in this space. She, she says psychological safety is a belief that you can speak up, say what's on your mind, even admit mistakes without the fear of some sort of social reprimand. And so um, we took that definition and tried to make it a little bit more digestible, I guess, and a little bit more actionable. And that's where we came up with the, it's the courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. And why did we come up with that? It was because it was near the beginning of the pandemic, actually. And what we, what we were, uh, we made psychological safety and speaking up as kind of synonymous. They were sort of one and the same thing. And then we started to notice that there were all these protests going on in the world. And we thought, gosh, those people don't feel, uh, have a belief that they're psychologically safe, right? They, they don't have a hold a high level of psychological safety. And yet they were speaking up. So speaking up wasn't enough. If people are just speaking up and they're yelling and they're screaming, they're doing so because the second half is not true. They don't feel like what they say is being heard or appreciated or understood. And so that's why we added it to our definition. It feels like a very critical component 
that in your workspace as a manager or as a colleague, you want to make sure that when other people speak up and they have something to contribute, you demonstrate to them that you get it. And you don't just say, yeah, yeah, I get it. Shut up. Would you, you know, I get it. No, you want to paraphrase back. You want to demonstrate again and again. Oh, is this what you're saying? And, and you get deeper and you get more curious. That is when and how people really feel that second half of the equation, which is that they feel understood and appreciated. And guess what? Being understood and appreciated doesn't mean agreement. It doesn't mean I have to agree with you. I just have to very clearly understand your position so that I can then communicate what my position is. And therein lies the opportunity to come up with new solutions. Yeah, that is so powerful because what's coming up for me is uh, perhaps when I encounter somebody who is maybe upset or yelling or, you know, trying to say, hey, you know, this is, you know, something which is maybe puts me off that if I take a breath and think maybe they're not feeling heard or safe, it it gives me pause to like what you said, go be curious and and spend the time to go a little deeper. So I do hear them. That's powerful. I agree. And it requires a little patience, as you pointed out. And I think in a business environment that is so hectic and so fast, often the the trade-off appears to be a bad one where, gosh, if I give this extra airtime, it's just going to eat up a lot of time. And yet I think what it leads to is much better and quicker and more efficient decision-making. So there, I think in the long run, sure, maybe in the immediate next five minutes, there's a, there's a hit to our efficiency, but in the long run, you're much better off. Right. Well, and to me, that's what leadership is all about, right? It's making those choices for the long run, not for the short-term, you know, reactionary instant. Well, I sure hope so. Yeah. I, I mean, you, I think effective leadership includes things like having a solid vision and compelling vision that you share with everybody. And it's not just the, the short term. And it, of course, there's often short term goals that need to be met and that yes. you sacrifice some long term benefits as a result. And yeah. So, Stefan, with the mission to abolish apathy in the workplace, how do you go about doing that? Well, there was a poll recently or a number of years ago that was conducted. And I suspect if it were to be conducted again today, we'd probably see similar results. And it was, I believe, by the Gallup, a Gallup poll. And they were asking people, to what extent does your voice matter at work? And the result was that roughly 70 people, 70% 70 of people believe that their voice didn't matter at work. And so I equate that to apathy. Now, that's not to say that if you don't have a voice, you're absolutely not going to be fully engaged at work. I think that is possible, but I, I suspect that there's a high correlation there. For those who feel like their voice doesn't matter at work, um, the, the number of those people or the percentage of those people that are just punching the clock, kind of doing time, just getting through their day being polite. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right away. I'll do that. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. You know, very agreeable, very polite, very just punching the clock. That to me 
is really the enemy that I'm trying to expel from the from the workplace because if we could get uh, even 5% and an additional 5% of the population of those 70% of people that don't feel like their voice matters um that would make a huge difference in terms of how innovative creative um how much innovation and creativity there would be to solve some of the biggest problems in the world so um imagine if 95% of people believe that at work that their voice really mattered. To me, I think that would be a complete 100% game changer. That would that would change the world. Absolutely. And with our mission, boy, our missions seem really closely aligned, right? And um, so by you doing the work you're doing, you're really helping our mission also to make leadership excellence a worldwide standard, right? Because if people are feeling like they're heard, at work, 95% of the people are feeling like they're heard and their, their voice matters. And um, that probably means that leaders are listening and not just cutting them off and saying, oh, this is a time suck for me, right? So um, us working together to help make both of our missions a reality seems like a perfect uh, solution. Right. Totally agree. I, I can't, I can't, I mean, I, the way I see it, like the, we certainly don't have a monopoly on, on improving the world, right? Like we're all <laughs> contributing in our own unique and different way. And, and I could see how there's so many other people like us who are um, contributing in very similar manners. And we're all just trying to, um, you know, raise, raise the ship, if you will. I, I think once upon a time, there's this metaphor that we were working with at work where we thought about like, we're trying to, bring a ship to the surface of the water and we're just attaching a whole bunch of little balloons, right? And rather than having just one peeping balloon, we've got millions and millions of little ones and all together that that's going to cause this ship to float. So I, I guess that's what we're doing. So we got an opportunity here to get the word out to this podcast audience, uh, in addition to the other ones that you've already already spoken with. What do you want to say to our listeners? What word do you want to get out to them? lean in. I think that's the, that's the antithesis of, of uh, apathy. It's being able to lean in and do great work. Great. Do you have any actionable advice? This is what we like to leave our listeners with something they can go apply immediately. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think for uh, the first thing I would advocate for leaders, especially is to um, start to embrace this concept of psychological safety, right? The courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. And what I'd invite you to do is, is, is kind of do nothing for the first week. All I would invite you to do is attune yourself to uh, any meetings that you have, um, to what might be causing others in the room to not be quite as open and candid with what it is that is on their mind. So uh, maybe a metaphor to think about is uh, I use a metaphor of an iceberg, right? In an iceberg, you have what's above the water and what's below the water. And then what's above the water is a relatively small percentage. And so what's above the water is what people are telling you. And what's below the water is what they're not telling you. And what you want to do is you want to push that iceberg above the water so that what they're thinking and what they're saying are roughly equal. <laughs> and so just start noticing what might be causing some people to refrain. And maybe, you know, they're just really shy, maybe. And, and so you have to 
just start to notice that. Or maybe there's someone in the room who always just seems to answer the question. If you put a question in the middle of the room, they're going to be the first to break the silence. They're going to be the first to answer all the time. And they always have a very articulate and well, you know, well, well uh, put together argument. And so it kind of causes other people to be reluctant to share. Whatever it is, just start to attune to what's causing other people to not share. And also yourself. What are some of the topics where you're going, Ugh, don't really want to talk about that one, right? And just start noticing it in yourself. You know, maybe if it comes time to discuss, I don't know, bonus plans or salaries or uh, maybe someone's performance is really poor and you have to address it, but you kind of just want to tell them they're doing a good job and pat them on the back and cross your fingers and hope they get better, right? Like whatever it is, start to notice the things that cause you pause as well as others. That's great. That's that's, that's wonderful and so easily applied very quickly, right? And, and I love the do nothing at first, just pay attention. Pay better attention to what's going on both in yourself and in others in the room. That's a great, great starting place. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for joining us today. Is there anything else you would like to leave with our listeners before we sign off? Well, I mean, we've talked about psychological safety, right? And one of the best qualities of psychological safety is the fact that it can be easily measured. Okay. And it can be measured in about three minutes by every member on your team. And so if you're interested in measuring the psychological safety of your team, because you're just curious about it, that is something that I would like to offer to your listeners is for them to get a complimentary assessment for their team. And um, the simplest way for them to do that would be to reach out to me on LinkedIn, connect with me there and send me a message and say, hey, I listened to you on the podcast and, and would love to uh, take you up on a free uh, assessment. And that's something I'd be honored to do for all of your listeners. Oh, that's wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Very generous. We'll put it in our show notes too. The, the, they can find you through our show notes. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you listeners for joining us for the Seasons Leadership Podcast. We hope you take these words of excellence with you on your leadership journey. Remember, no matter what level or role, you can become more than you are today and the world needs you. When you fulfill your unique purpose, you strengthen the organizations and communities in which you live and work. Thank you for being a part of our positive leadership chains. And join us in making excellent leadership the worldwide standard by subscribing to our community on Patreon. Visit Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Seasons Leadership to become a member and join the conversation. We would love to connect with you as we build our community of excellent leaders. And tune in next time for more leadership excellence conversations and insights like today with Stefan. Until next time, we are sending you positive vibes for new energy, creativity, and opportunity to elevate your thinking during this season of spring. Thank you.